I'm Lauren. And I'm Ashley. And this, guys, is Nip Tuck Pod. We are your girl chat. We say the things you want to hear, the things that you're thinking but you don't want to say out loud. And we're all about being strong, aspirational women who basically don't give a... Uh, Lauren, anyway, if you want unfiltered chat, amazing beauty and product recommendations, then look no further, guys. This is the podcast where you will get all of the girly chat. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome. <laughs> that was just my German accent for welcome. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to Private Parts. Um, hey, uh, I'm really excited today. I just had, I cannot tell you, I just had the coolest chat in the entire world with an absolute real-life hero. A real-life hero, Oli Ollerton. Uh, now, you may know him from SAS Who Dares Wins, Channel 4 show. Um, but that's, that is only the beginning of this guy. Honestly, it's only the only beginning of him. He was in the Marines. He was in the Special Forces. He is now an author uh, of a book called Breakpoint, which is an incredible book. You've got to get it. And this podcast is so fitting because it's uh, Mental, Health, Mental Health Awareness Week. And we spoke a lot about mental, mental health and the strength that you have to do to push through and his issues that he struggled with, with alcohol, with life, with... Uh, constant desire to be exhilarated in certain ways. Um, honestly, I think for me, one of the most interesting and heartfelt and important podcasts I've done. Now, annoying, Francis is not here today. He actually is uh, moving house, so he couldn't make it. So just Ollie and I having a chat. Um, but it couldn't have been a better one. Uh, what a really great guy. So Ollie, I know you'll be listening to this. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, also, hey... Uh, don't forget, um, you can send us some mail. We love to receive some mail. We haven't, we only received one letter. Um, so send us something. Does that, it could be a love letter. It could be anything. Send it to private parts, Jamie or Francis, 79 to 81 Borough Road, SE1 1DN. It's super fun to receive your presence. Um, also, uh, if you want to comment and subscribe, that'd be epic. You don't have to. 
but it means the world. If you are struggling at the moment with whatever it is, maybe you are struggling mentally, maybe you're struggling physically, maybe you are in a breakup, maybe you're having trouble at home, whatever it is, um, firstly, a lot of people are in the same situation as you. You're not alone, as we talk about in this podcast. And there's always light at the end of the tunnel and there's a way of getting there. Listen to this podcast. I hope it helps you. I hope you feel better. Um, yeah, enjoy it. Here it is. So, um, when you, when you drink your coffee, Mm. do you, do you have normal milk, oat milk, soy milk, uh, almond milk? I know what you have actually. You have, you have oat milk. You're one of those people. I have oat milk and sometimes coconut milk. What? Why Why do you have those type of milks? Because I don't really like eating dairy or, or consuming dairy. Cause you get, you get a bit bloaty. <laughs> I've had some dairy recently. Do you get, Have you noticed? I, yeah. Do you know? I I realise that I now know you so well that I know when you get bloaty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could feel you pinching when we hugged. I know. I was like, oh, you feel a little bit bloaty over here. Do you have? What do you have? You because I've now just decided that I'm going to try and go. I feel like we should try and save the planet in different ways, and I feel like I now need to start going pescatarian because mm. I heard this interesting fact the other day that apparently, apparently, it takes something like seven thousand liters of fresh water to produce a kilogram of meat. Of meat, yeah, yeah. But Correct. then, but then, like two hundred seventy liters of fresh water to produce a kilogram of potatoes. Yeah. But so I feel like I should save the planet and just go pescatarian. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I was vegan for 12 months, but... Um, what happened? <sighs> it's a long story. <laughs> no, I was vegan. I wanted to try, I wanted to see what all the hype was about. But, you know, it's all, you know, a lot of people were talking vegan. It's got quite trendy now. So I just wanted to see how it affected my performance levels and everything. So I'd like to try these things. You know, we, we're sort of advocates of health and fitness and blah, blah, blah. So it's something that I wanted to try. I thought I'd give it six months... Um, a go for six months but to be quite honest i did that because i'm tired of people saying i can't do this i can't do that i can't give up this i can't do that and the first time i sort of smashed through those limitations mm-hmm. personally was when i gave up drinking yeah, and i'll yeah. drink again yeah, i'm yeah. in control of it but when i did that that was for me when i gave up drinking it was such forget the drink forget the alcohol it was such a mental milestone for me to know that i could actually change and do anything i wanted to do and alcohol is a massive thing to break so for me, like trying vegan, everyone goes, I can I could never do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's the same with everything. I'll give up coffee for six months. Oh, I could never give up coffee. You can give up, you can do whatever you need to do. You've got to have a purpose and, and, and for it though. I had to, this is no one of like, I don't know what I'm going to say. I actually gave up watching porn. <laughs> not, for how long? Oh, like a day. No, <laughs> I'm not even kidding you. I did, Ollie, I'm not even joking. Okay, I gave up porn because um actually i'll be completely honest with you i used to on instagram right i used to follow i realized one day that i was following so many different like people whether it was mm. girls and things like that that i had no idea who they were yeah. they just were like pretty or they looked this and i was like yeah. why the hell am i following these people and then i realized that actually what happens in life is that you can get desensitized because you're just so so much stuff yeah. is coming into you that you just don't realize what it's doing to you so mm. i had to thought right i'm going to give up porn and it's really shit. It's <laughs> but I decided that that's that thing. So I gave up porn. But it's an interesting thing about how you're saying about 
it's about your mindset just mm. to give up stuff. Yeah. And that's why I'm so in admiration of you because you have mm. that amazing mindset. And ladies and gentlemen, before we get it, hello everyone, welcome to Private Parts Podcast. This is where we read the most intimate and sort of details of our lives. Hey, I'm with my buddy, Ollie Ollerton. Hey man. Hey dude. Hey dude. <laughs> I have such a soft spot for you. I'm not even, we spent, uh, before we get into everything, we spent what, uh, a couple of days together or a day together? Yeah, we and, did. And we've been on the bed together as well before that. Well, yeah. I, so we've had, we've got history yeah so we were in bed together and that's where we first met i did a tv sh- a tv show called in bed with jamie where i interviewed yeah. all you guys and it was really nerve-wracking for me because i'm this you know i was like they're gonna think that i'm just some posh kid who is this and that and you came on and you were the loveliest bunch of guys i'd ever met and we had to pop balloons and do all these different things we got you in cam cream as well didn't we we got some yeah and you yeah. put like something over my head and screamed at me and i was like god i just wanted to be one of the boys if those cameras weren't there it would have got a lot <laughs> Could have got steeper oh I, I wanted to make out with you i wanted to kiss you but i just wasn't allowed <laughs> But, dude, but then, so we then start, you know, we sort of saw each other occasionally or, or, or around different places. And then uh, we did something the other day for uh, this EE thing. We hung out for two days. And honestly, man, I, I'm not saying it's going, you're just the greatest guy. Thank you, mate. You no, really are. Likewise, we had, we had some fun. There's some, there's some parallels, Jamie. There's some parallels, I'm there's sure. A, there's a lot of parallels. But I want to get into this whole thing of, it's so true about, I suppose, about addiction and about uh, the mental strength of getting over things, but over things. Because it's so true what you say. I, I have this real issue uh, with like little things. Like The reason why I've gone pescatarian is because I'm, I'm trying to do that thing where you just have to, you, you give up something. Mm. I want to give up meat because, firstly, for the environment. Secondly, because I want to kind of tell myself I can do it. Yeah. But I find it super hard because you then get to one day and you go, oh, I'll just, I'll just have a piece of meat. Why not? Mm. But how did you fight that battle in your own mm. mind with different things to get over stuff? How did you cross that barrier? Yeah, it's a good question and, and something so many people struggle with. And the problem is... Um, it all comes down to one thing. You have to be mentally prepared before you're physically ready to tackle mm-hmm. anything. And if you saw so many people say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And they don't go through the mental preparation prior to. They just go through the sort of steps to, to start changing. Uh, and before they know it, they lose motivation. They've got no plan in place. Because what happens, you're basically dealing with emotion. And if you're only relying on emotion, you will fail. <clears throat> so that's why... Um, whenever you have something, you want to change something, you know, and you've, you've got, I mean, for me, 48 years of, of, of negative brainwashing in some aspects, um, you've got, a, you've got a, a blueprint there that you have to change. And the only way you can do that is by putting a plan into play that becomes a process. Yeah, but what do you mean? Why do you, why negative mindset? Why? Because we, we are negative. We are born negative. That's our blueprint. And that's a survival instinct. We're always looking for what's going wrong. Is that or true? What, is it that... is true. It's fact. It's fact. But so you're saying that when we were growing up, what happens is that we just constantly go straight to the negative because it's survival instinct in what sense? Because we think what could be around the corner could be the saber-toothed tiger, not it's going to be a unicorn. That's When it comes down to our evolution of the species... That's all we need to be focused on. We don't need to... The caveman never came out and went, ah, what a fantastic day. There's going to be so much opportunity today. He's like, ah, fucking hell, where's the, where's the tiger? Where's the... Fucking... Everything's going to eat him. So that's still our mindset, you know, and it's still very much we are negatively tuned to look what's going wrong. That's when, when something does go wrong, but that's why we, when we, we fuel that fire like you wouldn't believe and we grow this we we give so much energy to anything negative because that's human instinct to stop us from you know to keep us evolving it's interesting because uh 
I, I totally agree with that sort of negative mindset because, uh, and, I, and weirdly actually, we, we spoke in the last episode, we had uh, Louisa Johnson on the singer and she, we, we spoke about mental health and all this kind of stuff. And weirdly, I think that, it, yes, it's a lot of, you talk about everyone going vegan and stuff like that, and, and you know, everyone suddenly goes vegan. And it seems that like a lot of people talk about mental health and there are different stages of mental health. And I've weirdly on this podcast been more open about it recently. But I remember I was driving down the road and I was going to a, a fucking personal appearance at a nightclub and I was like what am I doing <laughs> and it was in like Norwich or something like that and I was with my friend and I was driving down and I was in a really bad negative headspace I, I was feeling anxious I was feeling sad I was feeling all these different things and uh, again I was in the car with him and I was being negative mm. with him and he turned to me and he's one of those friends who uh, he's one of those friends who you know you have those friends who just constantly would never tell you they always be nice to you and always mm. never tell you and he's always quite friendly you can kind of say anything to him yeah. he kind of listens to it he turned to me in the car and he said mate you're becoming not fun to hang out you're just being negative all the time yeah. you need to change that around and I went do you know what it's so right and it was so weird mm. I then what I did is mentally try to change that in my head. So every single time I had a negative thought where I'd wake up in the morning and I would say, oh God, it's a, here we go, another day. Or God, a, a job would come through and I'd go, mm. oh, I'm not going to get that job. I would go, no, change that around. Yeah. I am going to get that job. Yeah. No, today is going to be good. And actually you're so right, that does mm. work. But have you ever been to a point where your mind has been so weak that you, you can't... I want to, it's like a muscle you can't it's like trying to lift a weight with your yeah. mind you can't lift it I was at that stage at one yeah. point and I'm sure you've been there as well haven't you yeah no 100% you know, and that is some way it's, it's, it's a negative cycle but basically that comes down you know and I've studied a lot uh, into this sort of um, I think I think for me it's good to, you know if, if like a mechanic he doesn't know how to fix a motorbike until he know how it, how, how it works mm-hmm. And it's the same with us. I had to understand how we worked as humans to understand what was going on. And for me, at times, it was like, <clears throat> it was almost like, you know, instead of going seeking help, which would have saved me a lot of time and a lot of uh, stress and, uh, you know, mental stress. Instead of doing that, I sort of rebuilt myself back together, put myself back together. And sometimes that seemed like a, it was almost like a, a, a baby in a room with a, with a glue gun and a and a set of scissors but that analogy was high end <laughs> it's like a baby in a room with a glue gun and a set of scissors did that create the image in your yeah. head wow I wow. have a perfect image of me head. in the nappy wow what is on the walls what post is that I'm so little baby with a beard <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by eHarmony the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. But yeah, no, it felt like that at times, but I had to rebuild myself. You know, I was, it, I was in such a negative cycle, such, you know, I was at my lowest ebb. Um, but can I, can I just go deep, Ollie? What, what, were you, what were you thinking? Because, and we're going to get into your whole story and all that kind of stuff and where it came from and all these different things and just your life because your life is so incredible. But what... Because a lot of people listen to this and they, they thank us for talking about this kind of mm. stuff. What were you thinking? What, yeah. what negative thoughts were going through your mind? Um, I mean, it's sometimes I cover this in the book, but sometimes, you know, I was talking about, you know, I was thinking about suicide. Um, and to me, I don't know actually, I don't actually know if I'd have gone that far. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. And I never went to the stage of actually trying to execute the plan. Execute being the, the integral word there. Yeah. But um, but the fact is, if you're thinking along those lines, there's a problem anyway. And I, I did have those thoughts quite a few times. But I was just caught in, trapped in such a negative cycle. You know, I was just bouncing. I came out of the military, went over to, to, um, to Baghdad, to Iraq. And I spent years there. Basically, it was almost like self-imprisonment. Mm. Um, and then I was, I was drinking heavily to mask all the things that was going on. You know, I'd left my, my son back home, a broken marriage and everything. Did, so you know, that, did you know you were masking at the time? Or did you think I just need a drink? Just no, like, I just thought, you know, drink's part of my daily life. It was part of the culture when I was in the military and it's something I carried on. But the thing is that the drinking games you play in the military and then you come out as a civilian and start playing those games and, and everyone goes, Jesus Christ, you know, the... They're quite, you know, and the binge drinking and everything else, you know. Because if you went, I know what you mean. If you, if you, in the military, it's fine, whatever you were drinking, you're drinking yeah. whatever you're doing. But then if you went up to like a normal day person, like a taxi driver or someone and said, by the way, I'm, this is what I'm drinking. Yeah. They would say, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Crazy. I used to, I used to, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I used to drink to get drunk. You know, it's my, pur- my sole purpose was to get drunk, not to, not to enjoy the process of having a few drinks and socializing. It was just, it was just to clear that mind chatter, all the mind chatter, everything as soon as I had that mind chatter the best thing to numb yourself out is to drink and that's what I thought that's what I was doing all the time and basically what happens is we're caught we are victims of habit you know we're creatures of habit and, and we, we live in a, in a um, repeat cycle of yesterday because regardless of whether we're happy or sad or whether it's a good situation or not what we did yesterday and the day before as far as evolution is concerned and our mind's concerned is it's kept us alive till today so regardless, it wants to keep doing exactly as you've done yesterday. And that's what happens when people get into a, a, an issue with mental health. They're repeating the cycle of yesterday. Every day is yesterday. And that's why an important thing, you go back to what I was thinking about, all those negative thoughts. I was, I was thinking, feeling worthless, lack of purpose, everything after leaving the military. Loss of identity. Loss of identity. Which is a huge thing. It happens to, happens to mothers when they have their children. Yep. It happens to sportsmen when they leave sports. It happens and that's to the lot- parallel there. As yeah, well. Sorry yeah, to interrupt, yeah. but that's the parallel there. Me and, Fox, me and Foxy... Um, who's the best mate of mine we talk- who's been on the podcast a great guy yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely um, we talked about that a lot and, and there's a massive parallel there with, with Premier League or not just Premier League you know sort of sports as an example a Premier League football player top of his game 
I mean, look at the likes of Wayne Bridge, yeah. you know, and he's, he's fallen from grace and suddenly there's this massive void, you know, no, you know, you, you know, and trying to sort of interpret your skills, your skill set and everything else. It, it, it creates a, cause you've had a massive sense of purpose. You've had a massive purpose prior mm. to that. And as a special forces soldier, a massive purpose, you know, you take purpose away from any individual and you'll start falling into depression, but you take it away from a soldier and it's it's ten times worse, and um, uh, uh, and yeah, so you know, and the lack of self worth, and lack of motivation, lack of purpose, it's it just those things just put you in that negative cycle. I couldn't agree with you more, mate. There's um, <clears throat> there's a really interesting thing where uh, I think purpose is everything, and mm. I had to spend a lot of my life figuring out what my purpose was. You know, when I was um, growing up, I was amazing at sports. I played yeah. a huge amount of sport. I played rugby. And my purpose was playing rugby. That's what mm. I was. At school, I was a schoolboy captain. Everyone knew who I was. Uh, I was, you know, played, you know, England 16s, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And then when I was 17 years old, and it doesn't matter, like you said, if you if you paint, you want to be an artist. If mm. you play the guitar, you want to be a musician. I want to be a rugby player. And when I got to 17, I went on tour in Italy, did my ACL ligament and mm. my rugby career was over like that. I remember yeah. it was one of the worst moments of my life. I went into the uh, doctor's room and he put the MRI scans up yeah. on the thing. He said, he turned to me and yeah, yeah, it's your ACL. It's completely gone. You're not going to be playing rugby again. Yeah. And he said it so oh. like that. And, yeah. it, and it was and honestly, my, I shat out my heart. Mm. <laughs> I was like, what the hell is going yeah. on? And my purpose disappeared. I didn't realize at that moment how important purpose was. Mm. I was like, well, I lost who I was, didn't know who I was. Uh, at school, I was seen as a failure now because I wasn't good in classes and I, was yeah. just, well, I couldn't play sport anymore. So I lost my purpose there. And then throughout my 20s, I never really had a purpose. Mm. You know, I was always the one, I wanted to be validated in some sort of way or known in some sort of way. And so I joined a TV show, which gives me some sort of ridiculous fame. And I thought that gave me some sort of purpose. And then what happens is after that, it doesn't fade away, but you get that normalized and you realize actually it doesn't. Mm. You then get to 26, 27, 28 and you're going, fuck, yeah. what am I doing here? And, it, and mm. it's really tricky. And it's so interesting because I spoke about this in the last podcast, but Socrates, to get mm. real deep on us right now, Socrates says there's two levels of happiness. Yeah. The lower level, which is wealth, power, fame, mm. uh, money, whatever that is, those things. Uh, and people think they want to obtain that. They go, yeah. this is what we want to get. And then there's a higher level, which mm. is purpose, purpose, empathy, yeah. looking after people, having strong relationships, yeah. love. And that's the one that you actually want to gain. Mm. And you don't realize that until you gain some sort of a, on the bottom one. And then you realize that you're not happy. And that's that top one. Because you speak about, which is so incredible, that one of the first times that you found purpose once you left the military was you went to Thailand mm. and helped kids in slavery and prostitution yep. and, it, and get them out of that. And you yeah. suddenly realize that for me, you suddenly like, fuck, I've got a purpose. Yeah. And how was that for you? Well, that was an epiphany for me. You know, it's, that was because I'd always thought, you know, purpose is, you know, let's, let's keep talking about this purpose thing. Yeah, yeah. I think it's so important. It's so important. And yeah. people don't realize, they don't. fuck me, it's yeah. so important. Because, you know, when you, when, as soon as you're born, we're born as these creative beings that are supposed to find their own purpose in life, you know, be creative, be imagine, imaginative and find their own purpose. And then all of a sudden you're sent to a school and that creativity and purpose is, is stripped away from you. 
It's stripped away, you know, it's take, because they're systemizing you. you. You just quoted Mozart. Mozart said, Mozart said uh, you, everyone's born creative, but life drives creativity out he of you. He stole that off me. He stole it off you. I knew it. I knew it, you did. <laughs> but you've just said that. You just, that's exactly yeah. it. But continue what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. No, so, and that happens. And then basically you're, you're, you're then put into the system and you're being sort of systemized f- for society. Um, and, you know, you, you lose purpose. Um, and for me... You know, the first time I thought, you know, I joined the military and, and what they're doing, they're boxing up these humans and, and, and getting them ready for the system. And for me, my, my system was the military, you know, and I thought I'd, I read combat and survival as a kid. And I'd, you know, I was so passionate about joining the military and I thought that was my purpose. And then throughout my military career, you know, I wasn't I, I didn't intend straight away to, to join the special forces. I intended to join the Royal Marines and I did. And that was that was fantastic. And then I couldn't work out why I wasn't happy. I just wasn't happy. You know, everyone around me was happy and there were, you know, there was, you know, it was, it was everything to them. And for me, it wasn't. And that's why I went to the special forces because I needed more. I needed more. And then for a short term, the special forces delivered something that, you know, made me feel fulfilled. But then before very long, I was starting to feel the same. You know, I was lacking and I didn't know at the time, but it was purpose. I just couldn't work it out. I've got this amazing job. I'm jumping out of planes in the middle at the middle of night in the middle of night and and doing all kinds of crazy amazing stuff with with the best and biggest train set in the world and um you know a boy's dream and i wasn't happy and i just couldn't understand that and then i left and then i'm 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 forever searching for this purpose but just quickly on that happiness yeah did you did you know you were not happy or did you just feel like that's just what i i am i just you did you understand the happiness of trait or did you just go with it if you know no I just I just I thought it was you know you get very insular when it comes down to you know when it comes to your own personal sort of mental health and stuff you get very insular and I just thought this is a problem with you this is an issue you've got this is this is you you singled out there's no one else like you you have got a problem a mental problem and how alienating is it when you feel that isolated that alone it's horrible absolutely absolutely and um you know it wasn't until I Went to Thailand, you know, years after, I, went, I mean, I went out to, to, to Iraq, uh, you know, I left the military uh, and thought, you know, I'm going to rule the world. That didn't happen very quickly. Oh, it didn't happen at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, yet. Yet. <laughs> didn't happen that quickly. <laughs> didn't happen at all. Wasn't um, so I came out and then, you know, I, I, I then sort of tried, you know, tried to find a bit of normality if. You know, thinking I'd find purpose there. Then I ended up in a war zone, back in a war zone again for six years. Um, and then after that, that sent me, you know, that that wasn't very good for my mental health whatsoever. So I came you away from there. Spiral. Yeah, started, yeah, absolutely. So again, I was like, I left left Iraq. You know, I'd spent six years there as, um, for want of a better term, a mercenary. Um, and then, um, you know, I was, I, was, I was trying to find it, you know, I got into selling some real estate and all this. And I was trying to find normality in my life. And then it, that just for me was driving me even crazier. You know, I just couldn't find it. And then all of a sudden I got this opportunity to go and work for an organization in Thailand called The Grey Man. And the work they were doing was absolutely amazing. Initially, I was training the operatives to go undercover, go and find these brothels, find underage kids uh, and rescue them. Um, and... For me, I was, you know, I wasn't prepared to take that ne- next step to go and go undercover as a paedophile. You know, that would just didn't sit right with Is me. Is that what you were suggested to do at the beginning? That's trying to make you try and act something you're yeah. totally against and not understanding. No, and then, it, was, it was bizarre. Yeah, was, yeah, how can you possibly fit into a role like that? Exactly, but... um 
you know, so, so basically, I mean, so, there was a big shift in my life at the time, you know, a, a relationship finished and I was like, oh, fuck this, I'm going out. Yeah, I'm yeah. going out there, I'm going to try and do something. I actually took a company out there, you know, Vice Media. Mm-hmm. We went out there to do, uh, to, to film it and I wanted to, to expose this and put it on, the, you know, and get it to as many people as possible. 1.6 million kids a year get sold into slavery and prostitution in Southeast Asia. And they're the figures that we, you know, that there's got to be more than that. And it's from their parents yeah. as well. From their parents. I mean... It's Fuck, I complain about not getting a hug off my dad. Yeah, yeah, You know what yeah. I mean? Being sold by your parents or your grandparents or whatever, into knowing that you're going to be sold into the sex trade and all those kind of things. I mean, Jesus Christ, I, I can't even fathom that. But um, so anyway, I, w- I went over to Thailand and, and basically was part of, we, we sort of went into uh, Pattaya and all those kind of places and the whole thing was corrupt. So we didn't actually get achieve anything. And then, with everything I know in life, if you want to achieve anything, you've got to go to the source. You can't sort of be on the outer fringes and have any kind of effect, have any kind of positive effect. So go to the source. So and that does, and that also reflects to uh, life as well. It doesn't matter yeah. if you're setting up a brand and a relationship exactly. or yourself. Yeah, you've got to go to the core of what your you you are as well as a person, right? One hundred percent. And that's another point, which I'm sort of digressing a bit now, but I don't want to forget saying this that going, yeah. all this time that I was, you know, throughout life. We are bouncing around everywhere looking for this external fix. You know, it's out there somewhere. It's out there. I'll find it here. I'll find it there. We turn to drink. We turn to drugs. We're looking for this external fix. And the, 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 it's not out there. It's not out there. It's within. You've got to look within to find the happiness because the happiness is not out there. It's not something you can buy, something you can own, something you can invest in. Well, you can invest in it. And that's the best investment you'll make is when you actually turn yourself, look into yourself to find that mm-hmm. sort of, um, and I call that mental wealth. And we'll, that we'll talk inner about happiness. Yeah, that inner happiness. That's where it is. It's not out there. Um, and that's what I was doing. I was bouncing around everywhere to do that. And, and then going into, uh, basically, we, um, after that sort of finished in Pattaya, it was kind of, Vice went home and it was sort of over. And I thought, no, it can't be over. There's more to this than that. So I met up with a guy called Mickey Chusea, absolute legend of a guy that had been rescuing kids for years. Um, you know, bringing kids across the border and, and stuff, you know, while being shot at and which kind of appealed to me at the time. Yeah, <laughs> but know. that's so weird yeah. that you... I feel like with you, Ollie, that you, you always sort of seem to find your way back to chaos and war. Did. And, 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 yeah, no, yeah, did. I know, yeah, and, no, you're and right. did is, the, yeah. is the, the sort of ultimate time that you did, and not yeah. anymore. But you always seem to, and we'll get on to that, I don't want to digress away from the story, but yeah. I feel like you always, because I feel like you've always been in a battle yeah. for, for your life, and you always were looking for that next battle, whatever it was. Yeah, definitely. But we'll talk about this. But you, So this guy was being shot at, he was yeah, saving yeah. kids. Yeah, he, he was an absolute legend. He ran a, an organisation called uh, Children of Southeast Asia. So he'd been rescuing kids, putting them into, um, orphanage, uh, into an orphanage, and then we were getting, he was getting then, uh, uh, you know, uh, money through uh, donations to, to put these kids through school. I thought it was absolutely amazing. So basically, uh, me and a, another two guys and Mickey, um, we went on a, on a, you know, we decided to go up and rescue some kids. All these camps. Gorilla style. Yeah, gorilla style. Yeah, we dressed up as gorillas. <laughs> Rich, after it's being attacked, after being attacked by one as a kid, it was comfortable for me. I know. We can I'm talk getting, about getting that. Into yeah, that. I can't yeah. wait. So, it, so you, but you went in there, but you went in there without. Uh, when I say gorilla, I mean I. That, I don't know why I tried to use a military term. <laughs> I don't even know what it means. Yeah, yeah. It's like gorilla formation yeah, or something yeah, yeah. like that, <laughs> where you go in there, but you do you just you're just like right, we're gonna fucking do this. Let's, yeah, but the thing it. is, we were we were actually it was the most uncomfortable thing I've ever taken on mission wise. You know, I've been in 
I'd been in Iraq for six years and yeah. you don't go anywhere without, you know, two weapons on you and grenades and, and all kinds of stuff. Um, and I had to go there and we had to go. It was more of a hearts and minds things. We had to, we had to win the people over to get the intelligence. Um, and we had to make a decision on the ground. And that was, you know, do we take weapons? You know, and this was such a hard decision for us. I'd never done anything in my life on that scale where I didn't have the tools of my trade. And it kind of made you feel... Unprotected. Unprotected. You know, if you if, we're trained in unarmed combat, but if it comes down to that, it's already too late anyway, you know. So um, uh, we made the decision, you know, if we were caught on the ground with weapons, then they'd instantly think we would, were with a DEA, so Drug Enforcement Agency, and that would cause further tro- troubles. At least if we went undercover, we could, you know, sort of um, go with the, the concept we were tourists, mm-hmm. um, which would have been a lot safer. So we made that decision anyway. Um and basically, we went in and we took loads of medical products, and we were we were trading medical products. How do you get in there, though? Uh, well, Mickey Chusi is a local. Yeah. Um, he had a you know he had a four by four. We just sat in a four by four and travelled all the way through Thailand. So I just lay. It was absolutely it was absolutely amazing when I look back because I just laid in the back of this four by four pickup, yeah. just staring into the sky. It was fantastic, and we just went from place to place, getting intelligence of where the kids were. So. We managed to get up and all, all the camps were in the, and they're not sort of, they're not just sort, sort of kid camps that have been established. They're just tri- tribal camps across the border between Burma and Thailand. Um, and, and we got intelligence that there was a, a large number of kids being held at this one camp. And now it's 22 kids, but that doesn't sound a lot. But the whole scheme of when busting kids out. That Jesus, is a lot. Yeah. It is a lot. So anyway, we got just in there. Quickly, well, how, what ages are these kids? They're, these kids, I mean, they're any, these kids that were there, they were from, I think it was from 14 to 16, this group of kids, and there was 22 kids being held So they, they're, they're fully aware of, of everything that's going on. They totally understand yeah. they've been rejected by their families. Absolutely. They've been pushed away and that yeah. they're just being used for slavery and sex. Mm. And they were in, being held there. And basically the, the cartels and the, the club owners and whoever come up and they, they basically pick the kids they want and then then take them away um and they're taken to fishing villages put on local fishing boats you know and, and then abuse on these fishing boats and and all kinds of stuff some go to the clubs um how much they bought for do you know uh, i'm not sure on the on the on the cost but a lot of the times it's to pay off a family debt so they sell their child to pay off the family family debt, debt yeah so that's that's and then then or if it's not that the kids are then put into work so they're sending home um, a regular income. Oh my fucking god! Yeah. So um, so we got we got up there. We identified where these kids were, and then we moved in and, and, and processed these kids. And they, they, the cartels were, you know, we, we knew at any time they could come back. So it's, I mean, it was it was quite and, horrendous. And what do you mean you processed them at that point? Because just so you you you've gone in there. So Mickey's helped you. He's the local. You've gone in there. You got the football, and you go and yeah. just basically speak to them and say, look, we're here to help you. Yeah, we're here to help you. And then basically we got all their names, got all their ages. We processed them, made documentation. Um, and and we've been, we're processing them to the ones we're going to, we're, you know, to make sure they're, they're, yeah. they've been put there for the wrong purposes. And then we process them, pick them up and then take them away to the orphanage where they're then given the education and given a life that they should have. Um, so we, we basically started doing that. And then... Um, are they scared? They must be. Are they terrified? Or they do not know what's going on? They no, just... not particularly. I don't, you know, at the end of the day, this is like a culture. This has been going on for hundreds and hundreds, and hundreds of years. So yeah. I think it's the fact they don't know what's coming. They, don't, they haven't got a, a clue. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, we, we process them. And 
And then we, we sort of moved on from there and we were going to have teams go up and then collect them a couple of days later. Um, and then we moved away from there. Um, and we, we made a mistake. We made a big mistake because we, we advertised this to the world, you know, that we'd rescued 22 kids. And before you know it, it was in papers all over the world, you know, and I think it was... But why is that a bad thing? Why is that a mistake? Because we were still in country and there was a backlash. There was, there was like a retaliation that we were on the ground and uh, the authorities denied all knowledge of any kind of this stuff going on. So basically, as soon as they heard this, there was a backlash and they came on a manhunt for us. Did they know what you looked like? No, no, no. They just knew there was, there was a number of Westerners um, going around, you know, um, trying, to, trying to rescue. Well, they knew that we were trying to rescue these kids. And you were putting a bad name out there for, yeah, for the country. And so absolutely. So, so when they went on the manhunt, what was their intentions? To- well, I mean, whether it's... Uh, it, you know, I don't like to think about what, what could have happened, whether there'd been a long-term prison sentence or whatever, or, you know, even been killed on the ground. I'm not sure, but we had to escape across the Burmese border um, and get out of there. And then, unfortunately, after that, the, the, the um, you know, the, and the, the point of this is the fact that this was the first time, after I'd done this, after I came away, you know, and I managed to get back. I was, I was over in Australia at the time. I managed to fly back to Australia and... you know even on the ground you know all this stuff going on it was the most fulfilled the most purpose uh, purposeful I've ever felt in my whole life actually helping other people and helping these kids seeing these kids and knowing that you were going to change the direction of their life from prostitution and slavery to a normal kind of upbringing that was a massive that was that was another epiphany epiphany for me and that's incredible that you just, you suddenly realized that actually that's where you got to, where you were, you know, it's so funny how, and again, go back to that Socrates thing where mm. you were going through life, right, okay, uh, this is my purpose, this is what I got to do. Then you leave and you go into a state agent, oh, I, I, okay, now it's about being successful or something like that. Yeah. And then you, you know, then actually at the end of the day, what gave you that real sense mm. of purpose is that higher level thing where actually helping other individuals and actually doing something that actually makes you feel good. And I, and I think you told me before once, you said you, you can't express the sort of feeling of actually helping other individuals and how incredible that is. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think that's, it's not, that's not just helping kids in Thailand. That's just something innate in all of us. You know, when we get so insular, it's everyone's, everyone's fighting a battle of life, aren't they? Trying to be successful, trying to be this, competitive against everyone else. But we lose the actual, the, the actual fulfillment you get when you put a hand down and help someone else out. We've lost that, you know, and everyone. But why have we lost that? Why? Because, because we're, we're selfish? Yeah, what is it? Because everyone's fighting for, for, you know, everyone's fighting for more likes on Instagram. Everyone's fighting for more, more wealth. Everyone's fighting for the better job. And it makes you very insular. Um, but and people just don't help each other. It's 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 yeah it, they don't I, and I and I think you know I had to take a step back at one point as well because I realised how selfish I was being mm. neglecting so many like friends and family and stuff like that just because I was like, oh just on this road of like trying to be successful yeah. and you think that success right is mm. defined by like a fast car a big house making loads of money yeah. but actually success is just 
having a purpose and yeah. being happy and uh, helping individuals and doing different things like that. And I think that's what I had to realize. Yeah. And, and it's, it's amazing coming from someone like you that have gone, you know, from in such a dark place mm. to such a good place. Yeah. And it's interesting to see that arc. Um, I was going to have to stop there for one second because I have to go and read my diary, which is going to be a complete contradiction to our whole conversation. Which <laughs> <laughs> I'm slightly worried to read out now. But whatever. So I was always like to do in the podcast is I read a little bit of my diary. Um, it gives you a little insight to what my week's been like. And uh, you're going to enjoy this one. So uh, here we go. <laughs> Thursday. My good friend, friend of the podcast, father, golfer, cook, Spencer Matthews, and I were invited to a black tie dinner to celebrate a wonderful lady and her friends. We had never met anyone, but turned up confident, knowing that one of our strong points was entertaining, or, to put it more bluntly, partying. We arrived, suited and booted, ready to charm anything or anyone who stepped on our path. The reception drinks began, which is basically a posh way of saying drinks before the actual party. We glided from group to group, leaving a wake of lols in our path. Then it was dinner, a more intimate setting, but nothing we couldn't have, but nothing we hadn't conquered before. Again, the table was ours. Story after story flowed from our lips. It's like we're in sync, almost rehearsed. I finished my story with a perfect crescendo. Then the host to my left wiped away a tear of laughter and turned to me. Dessert was finished and the crowd was feeling merry. It's now time for yours and Spencer's speech. Sorry, I said. (laughs) (laughs) We're doing a speech. Yes, of course. Has no one told you? Of course no one had told me. Hence my question and sheer panic that swept across my face. Yes, that's fine, I said. How long would you like the speech for? I don't know, maybe 20 minutes, she said. 20 minutes? That's more of a sermon. (laughs) Suddenly, our mic was thrust in our face and we were told to stand on stage in front of 200 strangers in the room. All our confidence went out the window. I stood up next to my shaking friend and began an unprepared speech for 20 minutes. I introduced myself and tried to tell a small anecdote that I hadn't told the room already. Then passed the mic to Spencer, explaining he was going to introduce himself. As I passed it, I realised he had nothing. Nothing at all. (laughs) He looked at me like he was being sent to the execution. He said his name and then blanked. (laughs) Oh, shit, I thought. I quickly grabbed the mic back and said, Spencer, why don't you tell the story of when you took acid by accident? (laughs) Which, to my horror, he began to tell. Now, it's one of those scenarios when you begin to tell a story and suddenly you realise, what the fuck am I doing? He got to the point where he met a bearded man in a field and then locked eyes with people in the room and realised what he was saying. And so instead of continuing, he said these four words into a microphone that boomed across the room of complete strangers. Don't take drugs, kids. (laughs) I looked at my watch and eight minutes had passed, so he thought best to retire. The lesson? Always come prepared, kids. Oh, classic. That's a true story. <laughs> Mate, it was so when he did this thing, and honestly, I went, I was, he looked at me and he was like don't panicking. Drugs, and I went, Spen, why don't you tell the story of when you took acid back? And he went, okay. <laughs> I was like, oh, he's going to do it. <laughs> oh, hey, Ollie, uh, yeah, it was classic. That's the end of part one, buddy. Will you stick around for part two? I'd love to. Oh, mate, we've got so much to talk we about. Have. See you in part two, people. Bye bye. <laughs> ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) This was, like, wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. Like you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout season two, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.